Corinthians chapter, what chapter are we in? Chapter 7. All right, good time to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I made it through first service without getting tarred and feathered. Everything's intact, no black eye. (laughs) Why are you saying that, Mike? Because we have a heavy chapter this morning. Super heavy, you guys. Um, We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about, I don't even know if it's a word, singleness. Is that a word? Being single. Thank you for correcting my grammar. Being single. We're going to talk about divorce and remarriage, and uh, so it, it's going to be heavy again this morning, uh, but you know what, more, more than ever, we need the Word of God to guide us in these areas, you guys. Are you with me this morning on that? I mean, marriage, how awesome is marriage? I didn't hear any amens earlier when I said marriage. <laughs> Listen, God created marriage, He came up with it, He gives us the instructions, doesn't He? on how it is to function, how it is to thrive, how we are to experience um, uh, what he, all he has for us. It's glorious. Marriage is, when we do it God's way, it's glorious, isn't it? It's awesome. And marriage is under attack, you guys. It's under attack from the outside, but it's also under attack from the inside as well. Um, the, from the devil, the enemy wants to destroy our marriages. He, the thief comes to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. To wipe out our marriages. And let me just remind us that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. But the world is seeking to influence our understanding of marriage. The world is redefining marriage all around us. Um, and confusion abounds as well. And listen, if you are getting your understanding from the world, you will be in big trouble rather than from the Lord, from his word. Um, The world will tell you things that um, look good and feel good, but the end, they bring forth death, you guys. And so, um, and I'm learning the problem is not just with the world. I'm learning it's with my own heart too. Because there is nothing like marriage to show us how selfish we are. Amen to that. Anybody with me on that? I mean, marriage has shown me how selfish I am. I am so grateful that Tanya has hung in there for 26 years. Because those early years, I was a full-on bozo. And she has just given me grace upon grace upon grace. And I am eternally grateful um, for the woman that God has blessed me with, my bride. Um, you know, and I know as we hit these topics this morning, as we look at these things, I know, listen, I know there's broken hearts in this room right here. There is hurt. There, for some of us, there's a, there's a hurtful past, a history. Um, can I remind you, Jesus is also here Amen. with the power to heal, the power to help, to help us to move forward. Are you with me this morning? Isn't our Savior glorious that 
he would abide with us to help us to, to, to walk in the newness of life, to move forward. He provides forgiveness for our past, grace for today to help us. And the first probably, we look at the first nine verses, it's we learn how to make marriage work, you guys. We want our marriages to work, don't we? God gives us the, do you guys believe that God's word works? Not only does he give us the instruction, and we say that, amen, brother, pastor, preach it. (laughs) Not only do we say that, but when we walk, he gives us the power to do it. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in these things that he's called us to. Isn't that amazing? He would allow us, you know, the privilege of walking with him, and then he empowers us to help us to do what he's called us to to do. Well, let's pray and then we'll get into words. Sound good? That's enough of an intro. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. And God, I pray you just help us. Lord, there's healing that is needed and change that is needed. Lord, our thinking can be so jacked up. We need our, our thinking to be changed, our hearts to be changed, our attitudes our actions, our reactions. Lord, help us this morning. We desperately need you, just as we sang to you. Every hour we need you. It's more like every moment we need you. And so would you pour out your spirit in this place? Thank you that you are here. You are here with the power to heal. And so, Lord, we submit our lives to you afresh this morning. Our marriages, our families our church to you, to what you want to do. We want your will. We want to be right in the middle of your will. And so thank you for the great things that you are going to do this morning. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So let me just remind us um, of our context here. As we open our Bibles this morning, we open up to a letter, 1 Corinthians Um, It is a corrective epistle. That means there's, what does that mean? There's lots of what? Correction, right? And we need lots of correction, don't we? Not this church. I hear about different churches like in Tomball area, Katie. Just kidding. We need lots of correction too. Amen. And so this is a letter that, that, that Paul is writing to correct issues Um, that were happening in the church that he had planted. It was a church that he pastored. He he started the church, he pastored the church, and then left, and then started hearing about all the problems that were happening in the church. And so correspondence began to happen between Paul and the church at Corinth. And isn't that interesting just to consider? We, We typically think about how all of the apostles wrote letters, but do you ever think about the churches wrote the the apostles' letters? I think it's kind of neat, isn't it? The churches wrote to get some info, to get some insight, to help apply the things that they were learning. And so Paul has begun this correspondence, and this is at least the second letter that Paul had written to the church. And now we're going to get into, as we get into chapter 7, we're getting into Paul answering questions that the church had. Are you with me? Does that make sense? And so it's kind of like Paul gives the answer, but we got to backtrack and try to figure out what in the world the question was. Are you with me? And so let's check it out. Let's see what God's word says here together. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning 
the things of which you wrote to me. See, there it is. Speaking of a previous letter, concerning those questions you had for me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And we'll move back to that in just a minute. Don't be thinking, oh, I get to boss her around. <laughs> All right. That's not what that's talking about. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So let me draw your attention back to verse 1 for a moment here. And so Paul is answering a question that they had had when they wrote to him. And he says, it is, not, it is good for a man not to touch, and that word touch, it's, it's an idiom for sexual intimacy or sexual relations. And he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's not talking about giving someone a hug at church. Oh, if I give her a hug, I'm going to get cooties. You know, can't do that. The word says, don't do it here. That's not what that's talking about. I think that Paul is answering the question here from the church. Is it best to remain single and celibate? or to abstain from sexual intimacy within our marriage in order to serve the Lord uh, in a better way or a, or a more fruitful way. And it's possible, and here's the possibility, that there were some couples in the church, married couples, withholding sexual intimacy from their spouses, and by doing so, they were opening the door for temptation. And so Paul says, nevertheless... Moreover, um, because of sexual immorality, in other words, to avoid fornication or sexual sin, it's, that word, by the way, is pornea, in which we get pornographic or porno. It speaks of any illicit, illicit sex outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. And so Paul says, he says, because of immorality, let each man, the husband, so he speaks of the husband, the Christian husband, is to be what? Continually connected to or to have intimacy with his own wife and no other. And he says, let the woman, the Christian wife, is to be continually connected to or to have intimacy with her own husband and no other. Can I make a point about marriage this morning? Number one, marriage is a lifelong commitment. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between a husband, a male, a genetic male husband, <laughs> and a genetic female wife Amen. for life. I'm going to throw some rhymes in there this morning. We'll remember that. The Bible says that marriage is honorable. It is holy. It is good. It is beautiful. The marriage bed undefiled, the Bible says. 
And so, listen, there is no other way to make, there's no other way to make the scripture say anything other than that. That's how God designed it. And we learned last week, didn't we? The marriage union depicts that spiritual union that Jesus has with us. When we come to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes and lives in our hearts, doesn't he? There's a oneness that happens. And that same oneness is what happens in our marriages. God says that he takes the two lives and he makes them them one. That's supernatural. That's glorious, isn't it? And, and, And Jesus said, what God has brought together, let not man separate. And so that relationship I have with Jesus, that oneness, I'm, I'm to have that same oneness with my spouse. Now, in context here, here's the idea. If you withhold sexual intimacy from your spouse, you may, you may cause them to look for it elsewhere. That's the issue. And so it seems that it was happening in Corinth. And remember, Corinth was a sex-saturated city, you guys, all around them. Sexual intimacy was going on. It was promoted, just like here in our, isn't it the same way here in our culture? All, all in our face, in our face, in our ears, all the time. So it's a very real temptation. And Paul's like, listen, you dance with the partner you brought to the dance. Does that make sense? Like street level? <laughs> yeah, if not, you can talk to me after. Maybe you'll get it later. <laughs> Listen, Paul is not saying, though, the reason for marriage is sex alone or to simply satisfy sexual urges. Please listen to me very carefully this morning. When you enter into a marriage covenant, we're going to talk about a covenant later. When you enter into a marriage covenant, you become a conduit of God's grace and his love for your spouse. Did you guys catch that? I hope. You become a conduit of God's love and grace for your spouse or to your spouse. Listen, marriage is not all about getting. It's all about giving. And the intimacy is to be shared with your spouse alone and no other. Let the husband, look at verse 3. The husband must continually, that's the, the Greek tense here, render, it means to continually give his wife affection. I love this. Do her. That word affection means kindness. And so it's not primarily sexual intimacy we're talking about here. There's kindness. There's generosity. There's consideration. That word also means thoughtfulness. Isn't that amazing? We are to render, I'm to render to Tanya thoughtfulness. In other words, I'm to think about how I treat her. Dudes, are you thinking about how you're treating your wife? Or when's the last, I don't mean to like give you a conviction sandwich this morning. But it's like, really? Like when's the last time you thought about how you treat her? Are we honoring our wives as the more delicate vessel to bring them honor? That's the idea here with this word. And so it's, notice the word do right there. Literally, it's what's owed to her. It speaks of a debt being repaid, what's required, what is a necessity. You know what that tells me? It is wrong to withhold affection because it is due her. It is an obligation. It is a responsibility. And then he says, look at verse 3 right in the middle there. Similarly, the wife is to treat her husband 
the same way. In other words, there's to be mutual affection being given to one another. Are you still with me this morning? Absolutely important. God's will for us in marriage is that we would be one. We'd be linked together emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, physically as well. The two shall become one. And sadly, you guys, the sacredness of marriage has been stripped away in our culture. Sadly, tragically. But you know what? This morning, we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, aren't we? I tell you what, I began my marriage on the wrong trail. (laughs) Doing it my own way. Doing it the world's way. Again, Again, I'm eternally grateful Tanya hung in there. And the Lord was super gracious. Render is the continual tense. Intimacy is to be continual. It's to be habitual. Not in the sense that it doesn't mean anything anymore. It is to be rendered. God intends this to be regular. Affection speaks again of of an intimate way of expressing love with tenderness, warmth, and care. Doesn't selfishness permeate every area of our lives? Are you guys with me? Selfishness permeates every area of our lives. That's our problem, correct? Is the self, me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, correct? Jesus said that's why we're to deny ourselves and take up our cross once a month. How long? How much? Daily? Because it's our self, our selfishness that gets in the way. Listen, all the way to the marriage bed... All the way to the marriage bed, selfishness permeates. Intimacy is not all about self-gratification. It is other-centeredness. I would even go out out on a limb and say, it's Jesus-style ministry. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Even in this area of intimacy... And when people try a different approach, what happens? When you try a different approach, it's disastrous, isn't it? It's brutal. I like that word do. Again, it means obligation. But it's, again, it's more than just intimacy. Listen, it's more than just intimacy. It's keeping your covenant. When you said, I do at the altar, guess what? You made a covenant between you and your spouse and the Lord. And so do means obligation to keep your covenant, to do what you promise to do. And guess what? That's why there's witnesses there. Correct? Don't we have witnesses there? Mm -hmm. Yes? Yes. And so it's not to be a thing of the past. The fire needs to burn and grow. And the emphasis is not on taking but giving. Again, it's not seeking our own gratification. God intends, listen this morning, God intends for us to give. I personally believe the greatest expression of love is giving. What do you mean by that, Mike? John 3.16. You guys know that verse, right? (laughs) For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that He gave His life for us. If we want to be walking in God's love, the love that He's shed abroad in our hearts, then I will be someone that gives to my spouse 
or to those around me. Look at verse 4. Pastor, is this the boss, the, the verse we boss each other around on? Is that what he's talking about, that what he's talking about here? What is, what, is this, what is verse 4 talking about? Listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and when you said, I do, committing yourself to a lifelong relationship with your spouse, guess what? You and I, we surrendered our rights. Oh, really? Sure did. You died to your own rights. I died to my own rights. Well, what does that mean for me in the marriage? That means there's a mutual surrender, a mutual yielding of the authority, control of our bodies to our spouses. Okay, I got you, Pastor. What does that mean now? You know what that means? It means I want to make the other person happy and bless them. I want to see them fulfilled and satisfied is the idea. It means I really care how I affect that person. How can I bless her? How can I honor her? We're going to find out later in this chapter. It talks about those who are married, they, they care about how they may please their spouses. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever stopped and say, said to your honey bunny, how can I please you? How can I bless you? How can I honor you? I mean, it takes communication, doesn't it? It, it takes something more than just, uh, duh. E clicker, lazy boy. <laughs> it takes a little more than that. And I, listen, I'm I'm saying that as a personal illustration. <laughs> but then, what happens when you get saved? When you get born again? Listen to me very carefully. The greatest communicator of all time comes and lives in your heart. To help you, you and I communicate with our spouse. To communicate with one another. And he will help you. If your communication is jacked up with your spouse, he will help you if you ask him. He will help you. If you're a, if you're a rotten listener, guess what? Guess who the greatest listener of all time is? The one who's, who hears your cries. Who knows your thoughts. That very one is living in your heart to help you to be a good listener, to be a good communicator. And so let me, let me point something out. This verse never justifies abuse. This, this verse never justifies coercion. This means dying to our own rights and living to meet the needs of our spouse. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Verse 5. Well, pastor, there's an exception. When, when do we say no? Is there an exception? When do we say no to this? When I got a headache? Notice that? Some of you get that later. It's okay. It's, I know I talk super fast. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Why? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. It's interesting when you dig a little deeper and scratch and you look at this in the Greek. It means literally stop withholding intimacy from your spouse. Stop withholding that. Stop what you're doing. You know what that, and that's why I, I assume that the question was about 
Hey, it must be more spiritual not to have intimacy, to separate ourselves and live for the Lord in a special way. And Paul's like, no, stop that. And by the way, that word defraud, anybody got a King Jimmy, King James? What's the word? Defraud? Is that what it is? Defraud. It says, do not defraud one another. That word literally means to cheat. Do not cheat one another. You know what that means? Apparently that was happening. Stop cheating one another. And it does happen, doesn't it? Sadly, our selfishness. Intimacy is not something you intimacy is not something you use to manipulate your spouse. Like I'm going to teach you a lesson, you know. Or intimacy is not to be used as a weapon against each other, but a tool to build up one another, to strengthen that oneness, you guys, in our marriages. And so if I'm denying affection to my spouse, I'm cheating them. I'm defrauding them. And we need to be considerate of one another's needs. And not just that. What did Jesus say? Treat others how? As you want to be treated, right? How do you want to be treated? Jesus said treat others that same way way. And so Paul says, there's an exception. And I give you this with a caution, he says. Why? Because they had a tendency, the Corinthians had a tendency to misapply Paul's words and to take Paul's words way too far out of context. And so he says, hey, take a time out, he says, except with consent, he says. In other words, there needs to be a mutual agreement on this. Both spouses say, okay, listen, we come together, we're in agreement here, and he says what? For a time, not an indefinite period, but a certain time, we're going to take a time out, a certain fixed, definite time to do what? To give yourselves to fasting. So think about that. Fast, fasting detaches me from the world while prayer attaches me to God in a special way. So the Lord's putting something on your hearts perhaps. And so it's like, okay, let's take a break to seek the Lord in a special way. We'll give it this amount of time. We'll take a time out for this amount of time. And it could be for a lot of different, for guidance, for wisdom from the Lord. It could be for our kids. But you're seeking the Lord in a special way. You're taking a breather and you seek God's face. But notice what it says to me. And what's the last part say? And come together Again, he says, but make sure you reconnect with one another. Why? So that Satan doesn't tempt you. In other words, there's a very real danger of the devil tempting you to commit sin. Notice, because of your lack of self-control. Isn't that heavy? He says, if you fail to reconnect or deprive your spouse, then guess what? They may end up possibly looking for fulfillment somewhere else, and it's going to wipe out your marriage. That's heavy, isn't it? So Paul gives a warning there also, and he encourages us in our oneness here as we love one another. And he goes on to say, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. In other words, I'm, this is my take on things. I'm not making a bunch of rules up. I'm not commanding you this. For I wish that all men were even as myself. But each one has his own gift from God. 
one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, those who are single, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. You know what that tells us? Paul was single at this point. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul's like, listen, he says, this is my take on things. Again, I'm not setting up a bunch of rules. This is what, verse 7, what's the first two words? I wish. This is my desire for you. That you would be just like I am. And how was Paul? He was what? He was single, but not just single. He's single serving Jesus. Are you with me? It's not just single, I'm working on my own little kingdom over here and building it. No, it's single and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, at some point, Paul had to have been married. Really? Are you sure, Pastor? Well, I'm sort of sure. Acts chapter, I think it's Acts chapter 26, Paul was a part of the Sanhedrin, the, like the Jewish Supreme Court. And he, he gave his vote um, with, with uh, the Sanhedrin. And so to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. It was an absolute requirement. So that tells us either he's widowed, his wife died, or it's the possibility that she departed from him. She didn't want to live with his faith is a possibility. We can, we can come up with lots of conjecture. We don't know for sure. But in any event, think about that with me. He has a unique perspective to minister to a lot of different people, doesn't he? Correct? And so what does he say? Look, don't miss this verse, verse 7. He says, each one has his own gift from God. If you're single, it is a gift from God. If you are married, it is a gift from God. Crickets. <laughs> if you are married, it is a gift from God. Maybe you could turn and look to your spouse and say, you're a gift from God. <laughs> Just a little application this morning. <laughs> but listen, if you're single, that is a gift. The gift of singleness. <gasps> Pastor. Listen, if, if you're single and you have a desire to be married, you do not have the gift of singleness. <laughs> Jesus talked about that in Matthew 19. Some have the gift of singleness. And Paul will later talk about this in the chapter, that they have an opportunity to serve the Lord um, without, the, without, the, 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 without having a family to take care of. They're able to serve the Lord in a unique way. And if you're a single here this morning, listen, right now, while you're waiting for the Lord to bring that special someone into your life, you can serve the Lord in a unique way that we can't as those who are married. You're blessed. It is truly a gift. And so Paul says to those um, without spouses, those that are single, it's a good thing. Look at verse 8. It's a good thing. And remember, in verse 6, he's not laying down a commandment. He's saying, this is my take on things. Remain as I am. Be single. Simply serve Jesus. Dedicate or devote your life to God's kingdom in a special way. If they, if those who are single are unable to what? To, um, to exercise self-control, what does Paul say? Let them be joined in marriage. 
It's better to be married, to be joined in marriage, than to what? Than to burn with passion, than to continually be on fire with passion. Let me say two things on this verse. Number one, if you have a problem with lust or sexual sin, uh, marriage is not the solution for you. The solution is to confess and to forsake that sin this morning to find mercy. You know, I didn't even talk about earlier, and I think it's important to talk about pornography. I'm just going to say it real quick. Because I couldn't believe, I'm not a big stats guy, because I don't know who's being interviewed and who's taking the stats and all that. But I could not believe the percentages of those in the church involved with that. It's a heartbreaker. Why do I bring that up? Because that stuff will cause you to be dissatisfied with your spouse or the one that God has for you. You begin to look at people as objects and you begin to look at people in a way that God never intended you to look at them. It is a serious, serious danger. It is sin. Listen, I love you this morning. I care about you. If you're involved in that, you need to repent this morning. It will damage you. It will harm you. It will will derail you in your walk with the Lord. And so that's a little side note. Point number two on this verse. Looking for a wife is not like shopping for a car. Or buying shoes. I don't know which illustration would be better. Maybe it's for both, dudes and gals. Um, not just to satisfy, like some, satisfy some need. I shared this morning, first service, I am praying for those who are single here. Just like I pray for my daughters. That the, Remember what happened with Adam? All the way back in Genesis. You guys remember what happened with Adam? What did God do with Adam? Put him to sleep. And then brought Eve to him, correct? Listen, I am praying that for you singles, including my daughters, that God would put you to sleep and bring that perfect someone into your life. And that they're pure right now. That that person is pure, Lord. They're seeking you. That they're living for you. And guess what? We've seen it happen here, haven't we? We have. We've seen it happen here. God brought that... Because listen, did Adam need to go hunting in the bushes? I gotta find me a mate. I mean, (laughs) the Lord did it. You think he'll answer that prayer? He did it once. Can he do it again? He can. He can bring that perfect someone into your life. And while we're on the subject, I'm gonna take another little little side. The Bible says, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers." That's not a suggestion. Paul's going to talk about that later. We're going to talk about that later in, this, in just a few moments here about marriage. Because there were some that were getting saved in Corinth in the church, and they had an unbeliever as a spouse, and they're wondering, what do I do now? And Paul's going to give us instruction on that. But God specifically says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, you guys. Let me, let me take that another step further. There's no such thing as missionary dating. I mean, people try it, don't they? 
I'm going to date this unbeliever, and I'm going to lead him to the Lord. Actually, they may even know the Lord. He's got this, sweet, this awesome tee around his neck. And you should, pastor, you should see his biceps. They're like... That's, now, that's the temple of the Holy Spirit, Pastor. Listen, I'm not concerned about his bod. I'm concerned about his heart. Because guess what's going to happen? When you go against God's word, and there are plenty of people in our church family here who can testify to that, who didn't listen. And the pain and the suffering that they've gone through, enduring. That's why the Lord gives us a warning. He would warn us this morning about that. It's dangerous. Again, we, we say amen to God's word works, then we need to say, okay, I'm going to walk in it. I need to have, if I'm going to be led by the Spirit, I need to have not only an ear to hear what he's saying, I need to have a heart that's, that's willing to obey no matter how difficult or no matter how hard it is. And then I need to have feet that are going to continue to walk in those things that the Lord has called me to walk in, to be flexible, to say, Lord, okay, my life is no longer my own. We read last week, you bought me at a price. I will go your way and I will do it your way, Lord. And I will leave the results to you by the power of your spirit to work in my, my life and in my home and in my marriage. Amen? Amen. Well, I can't believe we still got a lot of time left. I was hoping to put this off, but there's no putting this off. Let me get, can I give us a disclaimer. We're not going to solve all the issues of divorce and remarriage. Um, and I know this morning some of you may be offended. Well, love is not easily offended. Can I remind you of that? Some will disagree, and that's okay. Because guess what? We're not going to agree on every single point. Some may even leave the church. <gasps> no way, Pastor. I've seen it happen before. They got offended. Listen, it's your, your issue's not with me, your issue's with the Lord. I'm just, don't shoot the delivery boy. I'm just like Domino's delivery boy here. Hot, fresh now. Here you go. <laughs> 30 minutes or less, I just made it. <laughs> Listen, we, we want the heart of what God's saying here. Of what Paul's trying to communicate. And the one thing we do all agree upon is that, or hopefully, when we do God's word, it works. So we just read how to avoid, we just read, we just learned how to avoid divorce, didn't we? How to steer way clear. Well, let's look what Paul says. Let's look what God says. Is it right for a Christian to get divorced? What's the instruction for Christian husbands and wives? So he says, now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Let's stop right there. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Sort of. Listen again. Remember, Paul's answering questions. 
that the Corinthians had. So Paul addresses the Christian married couples again here. And he says, I command not I, but the Lord. This is what Jesus commands. And listen, by the way, in just a moment, Paul's going to say, it's not the Lord, but me speaking here. Um, th that doesn't mean that it's not inspired what Paul is saying. Every, every bit of God's word is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Amen? Amen? What Paul's going to say in just a moment about it's not the Lord speaking but me, he's saying the Lord didn't cover this issue in its entirety. So I'm going to expound upon it. But right here he's saying, listen, the Lord spoke about divorce. Didn't he? Did, the Lord speak, did our Lord speak about divorce and remarriage? He sure did. And the instruction is a wife is not to depart from her husband. That word depart, you know what it means? This is so cool. It literally means open or vacated space. Let that kind of wash over you this morning. An open or vacated space. It means to separate, to divide, to separate oneself from. So the wife is not to vacate her spot next to her husband. Then he goes on to say, if she does vacate the marriage, she has two options. She is to continually stay single and serving Jesus. Or, what does it say? Look what it says to me. The marriage is to be restored. There's to be reconciliation. The couple is to be reunited as they are brought back together again. And then he says, husbands, the husband is not to divorce his wife, to, to put away his wife, to send away, to forsake, to abandon, to leave behind. So the question must be asked, when is divorce justified by Scripture and when is it not justified? There are th listen, there are three ways a marriage covenant can be broken or dissolved. Number one, Romans chapter 7. Death, the death of your spouse. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Pastor said it, man. <laughs> Romans 7, it says speaks about that. Number two, Jesus spoke on the issue of sexual immorality. Jesus actually said that's the only grounds. That is the only grounds to, um, to dissolve a marriage covenant. But it's, you know what else? It's also grounds for forgiveness. We've seen, we have seen countless marriages be restored here in our church. And one of the reasons is we're a church that does not counsel divorce. I don't counsel, as a pastor, I don't counsel divorce. Why? Because God's heart is always forgiveness and reconciliation. And I've seen so many broken marriages get bound up by the Lord. And it's glorious. And I, and I normally ask, will you give God a chance? See what he'll do? And you know what he does? He does really cool stuff, doesn't he? Amen. But I also run into couples, too, that it's like rampant, unbiblical divorce. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 19. The Pharisees came to him, testing him, didn't they? They wanted to know about divorce. Trying to trap him. 
Why? Because in Jesus' day, he was dealing also with a culture that lost the sacredness of marriage. No-fault divorce was rampant. You, if your wife burned your toast, see you later. Later, hon. You can't cook a piece of toast. And, and so they came questioning Jesus about divorce, and he talked to them about marriage. And took them back to the Word of God. Don't you remember where it says, God takes the two lives and makes them one? You guys remember Jesus said that, Matthew 19, what God has brought together, let not man separate. And then Jesus goes on to say, he talks about the rampant, unbiblical divorce in that culture. And he says with rampant, unbiblical divorce, God looks down, you know what he sees? He sees adultery, adultery all over the place. That's what God sees. And so we see here that Paul says, no departing. Don't divorce. You hang in there. And people come to me and they say, you know, I, and I've heard this before. Pastor, I think I found my soulmate. No, you didn't. Well, the, the grass is greener on the other side, I think. You have no idea what I'm going through. The kids will be better off. Guess what? The kids are never better off after a divorce. I'm just not happy. I'm not satisfied. And you know what I say? I say none of that's from God. Seek the Lord. Give God a chance. Watch the Lord work. He wants to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal unto him. And we can justify stuff, can't we? Our behaviors, our actions. Can I remind us this morning that marriage is a covenant? When Jesus said that about, about unbiblical divorce, and he said, when God looks down, it's rampant adultery going on, you know what his disciples said? What? Who could be married then? It was heavy what Jesus said. Why? Because the marriage covenant is heavy. It's not a contract you're making. You guys know what a contract is? That's like a dumb question. Have you ever thought about a contract? A contract is, I had to look it up, a business agreement that can be nullified when one party fails to keep their part of the agreement. The goal of a contract is personal benefit. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is a promise. It's a pledge. I have to keep my pledge and my promise regardless of the other person's performance. Are you with me still? Isn't that what God has with us? Aren't you glad we have a covenant with God and not a contract? Amen. Can you imagine it was a business contract with God you had? How would you do? How, how, you keeping up your end of the contract? Malachi chapter 2. Remember what was happening in Malachi's day? It's where God says, I hate divorce. But if you back up in what he says there, it's interesting what he says. 
The people, the dudes were coming to church crying and saying, why is the Lord not answering our prayers? We're lifting up our hands and, and crying out. And God says, you know why your prayers aren't being answered? Because you're ditching your wives and getting newer models. That's a loose paraphrase. God said straight up to them, you have dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth, and she is your companion by covenant. She's to be your best friend by a covenant, God says. But you've dealt treacherously with her. Three times he says you dealt treacherously. Isn't that heavy? I would say God wants us to keep up our covenants, would you? And Paul says, stay married. Honor your covenant. But to the rest, look what he says. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and so you, you're married to an unbeliever, and she is willing to live with him, and it literally means to be pleased to dwell with him in his faith, let him not divorce her. You stay together. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, so you're a gal and you have an unbelieving husband, if he is willing to live with her, he's pleased to dwell with her and her faith, let her not divorce him. Is that pretty clear, you guys? You're married to an unbeliever. That happened in Corinth. It happens today. You get saved. Your spouse is an unbeliever. If he or she's willing to live with you and your faith, he's, he or she's pleased to dwell with you, then don't get divorced. Don't get rid of them. You hang in there. Why? Look at the next verse. Isn't this glorious? Love it. For, it's a reason word, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Wow. So that unbelieving husband is sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart. So he, he or she is set apart in a special way. When you remain in that marriage, that lopsided marriage, and you hang in there because of her special connection with God or because of his special connection with God, that spouse, that unbelieving spouse, reaps the blessings and benefits. That's awesome. And the kiddos, they would have been impure, unclean, but now the kids are holy. The kids are also set apart in a special way to the Lord. Listen very carefully. Paul is not saying you're saved and therefore your spouse is saved also. You're saved and your kids are also saved. No, every single one of us needs to come into a personal relationship with the true and living God through Jesus Christ. God wants you to have your own relationship. Are you with me? Still, you're still hanging in there. We're almost done. We got like one verse left or two or more. No, I'm just <laughs> Listen, if you're a believing spouse here this morning, yeah, it's so beautiful. You have a cleansing effect, a sanctifying effect in your home. You bring supernatural light, supernatural love into your home. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Your presence is powerful in that home. That's amazing. 
The unbelieving spouse will be blessed because of your relationship with God. This is awesome. You begin, now you become a channel of God's grace and blessing. There's a covering over your family in a special way. There's answered prayer. And they are the recipients of God's love in a special way. It's so glorious. Remember the promise, gals, 1 Peter 3. You're living with an unbeliever. Can I encourage you that God hears your prayers? It says there that your husband that doesn't, that, that doesn't uh, obey the word, he will be won by your chaste conduct. In other words, Peter's saying, Don't say a word. Allow your witness to go through his eyes and not his ears. You live it out in front of him. That's a promise. You have an unbelieving spouse? That's an amazing promise. Don't quit. Can I encourage you? Don't quit this morning if you're listening and you're in a lopsided marriage. We have seen a number of wives in this fellowship that just hung in there, and guess what happened? God touched those husbands' hearts. And you know what I say to those gals? Guess what? A big oak tree is just a little nut that just hung in there. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> Maybe you're the unbelieving spouse listening here today. Man, pastor, all she talks about is Jesus. I don't know if that's how you'd say it. <laughs> she goes to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Tuesday, every day that ends in a Y. <laughs> why, Pastor, why? Let me tell you, Buckaroo, you have no idea how blessed you are. Because you're blind, you're deceived. You are kicking and resisting. And listen, you know you are wrong. And the Lord is trying to get a hold of your heart because He loves you, to rescue you, to save you. Listen, isn't it the hardest person to say, I'm wrong to, is your spouse? You don't want to say you're wrong. You're seeing her godly life. You're, seeing, you're reaping the benefits isn't it hard for even us to say we're wrong? Isn't it believer to your spouse? I was... <laughs> What'd you say, hon? <laughs> Correct? Is that not tough for us to say? I was wrong, please forgive No? I mean, pray for us that you know what I'm talking about. Listen, look at... We're done. One more. Two more verses. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. I get, that would pro, some, some believe, and I'm in agreement, that would be the third legit reason biblically for the marriage covenant to be dissolved is desertion um, by the unbeliever. The unbeliever departs, takes off. Paul says, let him take off, let her de depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage or is not enslaved in such cases. They're free. I think it speaks of, of freedom to remarry in the Lord. Um, some people disagree with me. 
you're entitled to your own distorted opinion on that. But God has called us to peace. That's what God desires for our homes, you guys, for our lives, peace. For how, and here's a final encouragement to hang in there, words of hope. For how do you know, O oh wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O oh husband, whether you will save your wife? Isn't that amazing? Paul's like injecting this hope. How do you know? Listen, God may want to use you. God does want to use you. Hang in there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to use you as an instrument. No matter where it is. And it begins in our homes, doesn't it? Isn't that where ministry starts? It begins right in our homes. And God may want to use you as an instrument to lead your spouse to Jesus Christ that they too might be saved from hell and saved unto a relationship with him. There's nothing greater, is there? There's nothing greater, is there, than walking with Jesus? Serving him? And the best is yet to come for us. Because this place is not our home. Our home is heaven. And one day we'll be with him for all eternity. And listen, it will be worth it to do it God's way. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Thank you for this passage. And God, I pray that it would just wash over us. And Lord, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters that, um, that are hurting this morning. As they've listened, maybe hurts have been revealed or uncovered that your healing balm would touch them. They would receive your comfort. For you are the uplifter of our heads. Lord, for those that maybe have blown it, have done it wrong, that they would see this as an opportunity to confess and to forsake that sin and to find mercy. So many different situations and circumstances. God, please help us to work through all of this in a way that honors you, honors your word. I pray that you would give help to those that are here this morning that are struggling with their marriages, that as they've heard your word, that they would put it into practice. in their lives and in their marriages, in their relationships, and that you would work powerfully and mightily, God. That you would do a fresh work. That our lives would bring you glory, our marriages, our homes, even our singleness, those that are singles, serving you, that all of us, Lord, what a gift you've given all of us. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. You've blessed us. And so we say thank you, Lord. Lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness. May we use what you've blessed us with to bring honor and glory to your name for the furtherance of your kingdom. That we would make the most of the time that we have left. 